0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode, I explore the recent HBR video, How Apple is Organized for Innovation, Leadership at Scale. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for part three of the three-part HBR video series about how Apple is organized for innovation. Today, we're going to be focusing on part three, which focuses on leadership at scale. Deciding on how to organize areas of expertise to best enable collaboration and rapid decision making has been an important responsibility of the CEO at Apple. The adjustments Tim Cook has implemented in recent years includes dividing the hardware function into hardware engineering and hardware technologies, adding artificial intelligence and machine learning as a functional area, and moving human interface out of software to merge it with industrial design, creating an integrated design function. As Apple has grown, its functional structure and leadership model have had to evolve, and I look forward to exploring the audio in episode three of this series with you, along with some of my own commentary and thoughts. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip.
1: Does leadership change when a company grows from 8,000 to 137,000 employees? It does, and Apple shows us how. Apple's way of organizing by function rather than traditional business units has led to innovation and success over the past two decades. But there have been challenges, especially with revenues and headcount having exploded since 2008. As the company has grown, its functional structure and leadership model have had to evolve. An example of the challenges posed by organizational growth is the pressure it imposes on the several hundred VPs and directors below the executive team. In 2006, a year before the iPhone's launch, the company had around 17,000 employees. By 2019, that number had grown more than eightfold to 137,000. Meanwhile, the number of VPs approximately doubled from 50 to 96. This means more details to oversee and new areas of responsibility that fall outside their core expertise. In response, many Apple managers have been evolving and adapting their leadership characteristics. Experts leading experts, immersion in the details, and collaborative debate. When Apple was smaller, it may have been reasonable to expect leaders to be experts on and immersed in the details of pretty much everything. However, they now need to decide which activities demand their full attention because those activities create the most value for Apple. Some of those will fall within their existing core expertise. They still need to own that. Activities that require less attention from them can be pushed down to others and they can teach others to handle them.
0: Leadership challenges when you're scaling an organization can be very, very difficult. Now in the simplest of organizations when you're scaling, you know, from a small to medium to large size organization, that can be very challenging. Apple was already large when they started to just scale at an incredibly rapid pace in terms of revenues, but also in terms of headcount and customers and product lines. They they grew so quickly it put a lot of strain on this structure that jobs have put in place and their focus on technical expertise in each of the areas. So as we go through this clip, uh, you hear about some of those challenges that they're facing, and, and ultimately it leads to the necessity for adaptation in the leadership approach and style of those leaders. And so just because you found success in a previous iteration of the organization or under a different structure or even under the same structure but when you were at a different size as you scale you have to take a step back and look at what you're doing how effective it is and ultimately make some decisions about how to move forward in a way that will fit the current and future needs of the organization of your team and for yourself as a leader, that you can continue to feel fulfilled and that you have the opportunity to be successful. In large part, as that scaling happens, inevitably it means you have to delegate more. You have to empower the people that report to you to leverage their own expertise to drive success and continued innovation. You have to train others that report to you so that they can take on more responsibility and that they can be able to handle it effectively. It's just not feasible for uh, a manager or an executive who had, you know, a team, say, of 50 people. And then all of a sudden that, that uh, functional area grows eightfold. It's not, it's not reasonable for them to be able to handle all that. And they're not going to have the expertise to tap into all those different areas uh, that are going to be covered within their, their functional area. So ultimately, this is what Apple had to do and what their, their managers had to grapple with and deal with. And as we get into the second half of the video, you'll learn a little bit more specifically about what they did in order to make those needed adjustments and shifts so they would be prepared for the growth and they would be able to lean into the change that was before them. Organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life.
1: Here's how that works at Apple. As an expert who leads other experts, Roger Rosner, Apple's VP of Applications, had to contend with three challenges arising from the company's tremendous growth. First, the size of his function had exploded over the past decade in terms of both headcount and the number of projects underway at any given time. Second, the scope of his portfolio had widened. Although apps are his core area of expertise, some aspects of these involve matters in which Rosner is not an expert. Finally, as Apple's product portfolio and number of projects have expanded, even more coordination with other functions was required. Rosner had been immersed in details, especially those concerning the top-level aspects of software applications. He also collaborated with managers across the company in projects that involved those areas. But with the expansion of his responsibilities, he has moved some things from his owning box into his teaching box. Now, he guides and gives feedback to other team members so that they can develop software applications according to Apple's norms. Being an instructor doesn't mean Rosner gives instruction on a whiteboard. Rather, he offers strong, often passionate critiques of his team's work. This
0: was a really great example of one particular area that saw tremendous growth, not only in terms of headcount of the employees that reported to him, but also in terms of the number of projects that were going on simultaneously at any given point in time and required a lot of oversight and coordination. He simply couldn't do it. I mean, it's impossible to have that much bandwidth to cover everything. And so it talks about how he moved them these different responsibilities into his teaching box. So now instead of taking on that responsibility for himself, he's delegating and empowering others that report to him that are technical experts on different projects. He's training them and teaching them to, uh, on how they can uh, better lead those projects and he's empowering them and giving them the autonomy to be able to do so. That's the only way that it can function without putting a, uh, other layers of middle management into the system. And as we know from the first two uh, episodes in this series, that that was one of the things that Jobs wanted to get rid of. He wanted to get rid of all of the layers of middle management. Now, could we make the argument that at scale, as Apple grew to the behemoth that it is today, that it needed to reintroduce those? Certainly. Uh, could it make sense for them to move away from the functional structure into more of a traditional, uh, divisional approach that many organizations of its size, uh, take on? Uh, definitely that, that could be a reasonable approach. Ultimately though, that wasn't the vision of jobs and that's not the culture of Apple. And so they've made very deliberate choices, strategic choices, and structural and organizational design choices that have then led into their leadership styles and what it will take for them to be effective. Given a different context, a different set of leadership styles and skills might be necessary to to drive success and continued innovation within the firm. But given uh, the current context that they're in, uh, I think this empowerment delegation teaching model uh, is one that makes a whole lot of sense. And clearly Apple has leveraged this to continue to drive innovation and creativity, uh, which has produced a tremendous amount of brand loyalty among its customers. And they continue to really lead the tech industry in terms of a lot of the product lines that come out and continuing to push the envelope on the, the greatest, the best and the greatest uh in terms of computers, phones, tablets, and other such devices.
1: This flexibility in the leadership model is an imperative in any growing functional organization. Of course, Apple's example is rare, if not unique, among very large companies. They think different and challenge the prevailing theory that companies should be reorganized into business units as they become large but its track record proves that the rewards may justify the risks. Under the right leadership and a functional structure, an organization can produce extraordinary results.
0: There is no arguing with the success that Apple has had in the track record of innovation that it continues to really lead out in the industry with. Uh, Apple has been a tremendous over an extended period of time, and it's it's not just a matter of having a couple good years. They've had a couple really good decades, and they can attribute a lot of that to their unique approach to having a functional structure, even while being this giant behemoth of an industry leader. They got rid of middle management. They take a unique approach to organizational design and how they lead out. And they empower their leaders to to be adaptive enough that they can then empower their people and train them and prepare them uh, in order to to maintain the expertise necessary to drive continued innovation. Could this work in other organizations? I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 one of the tricky things whenever you're looking at best practices in industry. Um, simply trying to replicate what an organization like Apple has done probably will produce failure because every context is different, even if subtly so. And every culture is different. Every founding has its own kind of, of makeup and history. Uh, and it's just different in every single organization. So rather, I don't think the takeaway here is for everyone listening to think we really should think about how to adapt according to the Apple approach and run our organization that way. I don't think that's the right takeaway, but I think there's definitely some, some good ideas here that are worthy of contemplation, that are are worthy of taking some time for discussion amongst our leadership teams so that we can consider how that might look in our organization. Most organizations need to be more innovative. And unless you happen to already work in one of those highly innovative, highly engaging, highly empowering types of organizations uh, that are just continually leading out in your industry, chances are there's something here that Apple uh, teaches us through its example that could be adapted or applied to be useful in your own organization. As always, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week.